Hi, everybody. David Knorr. I want to welcome you back to another uh, episode of the Curve Benders Live. I'm delighted you're here. Uh, I've taken a little bit of a summer hiatus. Uh, I've been gone for a few weeks on a cross-country motorcycle ride, but I'm back and uh, excited about the second half of the year and both sharing uh, my own content from my work, but also I've got a great list of guests coming up, joining us in the next several months thought leaders, executives, people that I've genuinely just really appreciated getting to know for their respective worlds, their respective uh, area of competencies. And I wanted to share, uh, I've asked them to share not just their thinking, but also the implementation of great ideas. Uh, just a quick summary, uh, Curve Benders, for those of you who may not uh, join us or know anything about me or my work, Curve Benders, my latest book, this is book number 11. It came out uh, just a few months ago. And um, it is all about the intersection of the future of work and our strategic relationships. And in it, I talk a lot about to remain relevant, you're going to have to accelerate your personal and professional growth. And the best way I know how to do that is not our traditional linear. Think of a 45-degree angle truck ramp, learn, 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 maybe at some future, figure out how to apply it but really what I call nonlinear growth, which is how do I find a problem? Identify a challenge in my world. By the way, I don't need a four-year MIT degree to learn how to code. I'm not taking anything away from undergraduate degrees. I think they're incredibly valuable, but that traditional linear growth doesn't really give us a chance to immediately apply that learning. So what I wanna do is go take a 30-day coding course. A lot of it is free and available, solve that problem, and then tackle the next one. So the immediate learning and application of that learning, uh, and and including you know failing, including setbacks, that's part of that growth. That's what's going to keep us relevant. And it creates this hockey stick journey versus the truck ramp. And one of the coolest uh, enablers of that growth are our relationships. So you cannot do this with just anybody. Ideally, if they're people you've known. You've got battle tested, they're proven, they're, you don't have to feel like you have to impress them. And in many ways, they like you just the way you are. So uh, for our audience, we're live on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. I would encourage you to jump in with questions, ideas, perspectives. Uh, I think Federico is here. Delighted you're here. And uh, thanks for the kind compliments with the emojis. So jump in with questions, comments, and I'm happy to clarify as we go. So let me also share my screen and I'm gonna show you, we've been continuing these series. So this session uh, is really an ongoing series. If you can see my screen, in the book, I shared seven steps that I believe are repeatable, they're predictable, and if you, begin by investing in great relationships, actually believe in fewer relationships, but deeper, more authentic, more meaningful relationships, they can become a huge asset to you in any step of this journey. But if I describe curve benders as these great relationships that accelerate our growth, that help us remain relevant, uh, that can profoundly change the direction and destination of our personal or professional lives, the consistent comment I get back is, wow, who are these mystical, magical creatures? And 
where do I find them and how do I meet them? And and regrettably, in the Matrix movie vernacular, I don't have a blue or red pill for you. These people are busy. They're not standing on the sidelines you know, or sidewalks waiting for you. So what you have to do is, is start by looking in the mirror. And you have to begin this journey. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon, sometimes a lifelong journey of continuous improvement and really becoming the best version of yourself. I cannot be some of my mentors, just like some of the people I coach cannot be me. So all I ask everybody I interact with, whether you read my stuff or attend any of my sessions, is how do you become the best version of you? And the way I know how to do that is this continuous learning and growth. And in the book, I talk about embracing a digital an entrepreneurial and a growth mindset. That was actually step number one, really developing this personal foundation that says, I'm going to continue to learn. I'm going to continue to grow. I'm going to continue to embrace new digital avenues and how to solve challenges, how to learn through that process. Even if I work for a large organization, I've personally done this over the years myself. Even if I work for a large brand, how do I think and behave like an entrepreneur? How do I see resources as limited, not this bottomless pit that I don't want to waste any? How do I make sure I demonstrate respect for everybody I interact with, for their time, for their backgrounds, for what they can contribute to the conversation or the challenge and opportunity that I'm facing? So those three mindsets, again, digital, entrepreneurial, and growth is really that personal foundation. The second one I talked about in the previous episode is really about professional commitment. My dad drove into me. I don't care if you're a garbage collector. Be the best garbage collector you can be. So it's all about exceeding existing expectations of you in that role. Stop wearing your eagerness on your sleeve. Have you seen what a good job I'm doing? I'm doing a fantastic job. Have you seen what a great job I'm doing? Nobody really gets a lot of benefit from that. So stop wearing your eagerness on your sleeve and commit to being the best you can in whatever role you've taken on, right? That often leads to today's episode, which I call a catalyst. And again, if you have the book, if you're following along, this is the entire, really chapter three of the book that begins on page 89. And it's all about, the title of it is Accelerated Relevancy. And specifically the catalyst is Something, and I want to take you back to uh, maybe one of the first chemistry classes you took. So we're talking about step three here in the catalyst. And I want to take you back to one of the first chemistry classes you took, where you combined two or more chemicals and you saw a chemical, you experienced a chemical reaction. And that catalyst is a substance that accelerated it, right? So um, you know, the thing bubbled up or it, it, it foamed up or hopefully it didn't explode, but you get the point. And, and I reference this catalyst as a spark. So something happens in our daily lives. Something happens in our work that really becomes a spark. And I've seen two types. Either you reach a ceiling, right? I've been promoted several times. Uh, unless I'm willing to move to our corporate headquarters or I'm willing to upend my life and my family and you know kids, schools, and now the spouse becomes a trailing spouse and I'm physically willing to go to where the headquarters is, I've reached kind of a ceiling in my in my in my job, in my company. 
So either you've reached some sort of a plateau, you've reached some sort of a, this is as far as I can go, or you know what, without international experience, without product experience, without marketing or operations or manufacturing experience, I've reached kind of where I can get to. Or you start to envision that there has to be, and maybe they're, they're, they coincide, but one is a, a limitation. The other one is upside. The other one is maybe not continuing on that corporate ladder, but maybe getting on a different path. You know what? I've always been thinking about, could I own a franchise? Could I start a small business? Could I go on my own and do consulting work potentially? Or you know what? Could I go on my own and build a product that is missing in our product portfolio or an acquisition that I wanted to do that my senior leadership team or board or investors didn't believe would be a viable fit for us. All of those are sparks. All of those are catalysts. Either I've reached a limitation or there's a different path. There's a different journey ahead for me. And what this catalyst really does for you is it kind of gnaws at you. And again, I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but you can't stop thinking about it. It, it The proverbial keeps you up at night. It starts to distract you. It starts to take over a lot of your mental capacity, a lot of your energy. You find yourself researching either scenario. Either I've reached a ceiling or there's a new path. There's a new direction. But you start to research it. I found that in my own world, I start to discreetly socialize it. Go to a handful of people I know, I like, I trust. I call that my inner circle. And start asking questions. Hey, here's something I'm thinking about. Or have you noticed? Or you own a franchise and you worked in a corporate world. How was that transition for you? Or you've been on your own. I had this conversation with somebody else the other day. This is the 20th year of our consulting business. And I found some fascinating data that most uh, consulting firms don't get past about five to seven, right? They either sell or the person leaves and goes back into an operating role or whatever happens, but it typically doesn't, most cases, they don't go past about five to seven years. So somebody was asking me, what's been the secret? What's been, and, and I, and I reminded, I just literally have this on my shelf. I don't know if you can read it or not, but it says, I love my job. And it might be very simple, but I keep it in front of me to remind me that the day I stop loving what I do, the day I'm no longer excited about it or passionate about it, the kind of clients we work with or the difference we make in their lives, the day I should hang this up and go do something else. So that spark, that catalyst becomes in some ways all-consuming. You're now thinking a lot about either that ceiling or a different path. Again, I start to socialize it. I start to read a lot about it in my past. I've attended conferences, you know, industry associations or conferences or events around that topic. Um, you heard Curve Benders was book number 11. I'm writing over my sh this shoulder, the green one, Relationship Economics was my best-selling book, first book. Wiley was kind enough to ask me to completely rewrite it. So I'm finishing that up this week, interestingly enough. So... And, and before I published my first book, I went to Book Expo America. BEA is the largest uh, book conference in the world. And it was at Jacob Javits in New York City. And 
over three days and this massive, massive sprawl of anything and everything book related. And I immersed myself into learning all about books and book publishing and the different types and paths. And so when you want to pursue something, and I'll talk about more about this in the next episode, but the catalyst becomes that spark. And without that spark, you're not going to get a flame. Without the flame, you're not going to get a fire. And that spark ideally is productive, it's constructive, it leads you forward. And I found out that there's really three types of a catalyst for some sort of change. That's what we're after in our lives. A catalyst is typically a spark for some sort of a change in our lives. If you've hit a ceiling, it might be a different division, different business unit. I always rather deal with a devil I know versus devil I don't know. So ideally, it's within the same company. If not, you may change companies. I've known executives and leaders who've changed industries. But it's some sort of a change once you feel like you've reached a ceiling. A director of sales who, for whatever reason, is not getting promoted to a vice president, goes to another company and takes a vice president role, maybe a smaller company or another part of the ecosystem. A VP of sales who's been really successful is not getting that chief revenue officer job. An operator in finance or other parts of the operations is not getting a crack at that COO opportunity. So a lot of times, folks, when they reach a ceiling, they think about leaving the department, the division, business unit, function. Um, I have uh, an uncle that's been with one of the hospitality companies for a whole bunch of years. He moved. He moved from food and beverage to, all right, to restaurants and and kind of running restaurants for a bigger property and then operations and room service and ultimately became general manager. So a lot of times folks change when they feel like they've reached the ceiling, they change functions, business units. And the biggest change in that corporate arena is to change companies. And I appreciate uh, Tim Calhoun's here. Uh, jumping in, agree with this. Uh, I do the same thing. I use my sounding board professional friends for this exact thing and recently made this change. So Tim, kudos. By the way, Tim, I love the fact that those people know us, hopefully like us for who we are. And as I said earlier, you don't have to feel like you have to impress them. So you can be candid. Sometimes you can be raw. Here's what I'm really struggling with. Here's what's working for me. Here's what's not working for me. Here's what I'm after. And, and I love conversations I've had with people. And they said, that's brilliant. Go for it. And I've also had some conversation with people that are like, what the hell are you thinking? Right? That's just not sure that's, that's the right lens for you or angle for you, where you are with your life and family and age of kids or whatever. Right? But that sounding board, that inner circle, we all need that. So thanks for jumping in. A great point. So this catalyst for change. I want to plant the seed with you that there's three types. One is really a simple one. This is the easiest. This is the most common in our lives. You know what you need to do. You know how to do it. There's often a a right answer. There's a cause and effect of kind of what's happening and your desired change. Um, You just, and, and by the way, your ability to make that change, pretty high success rate, right? So you've been in sales, you've been a sales manager, you understand sales, you're talking about going somewhere else and being a sales manager. There's a lot of that that is known. Now you have to do a better job in your due diligence and make sure you're you're going to an environment, but you're selling basically 
similar products to the same market. You're not changing industries. You're not massively changing geography. So that's a simple catalyst for change. And in my experience, that's a combination of courage, right? Kind of the courage to kind of make that leap or make that those inquiries. Due diligence. And this is something not enough people do deeply enough. Due diligence in not just the product, the services, the ecosystem, but the relationships. Due diligence into the relationships. You know how companies do a um, reference check on a, on a candidate and the best recruiters I've ever met will get some references from you, but they also do their own deep level. They want to go talk to people who you haven't listed. They want to go talk to people who left the company or they want to go talk to people who maybe didn't get along with you as well. I've learned also um, uh, sports, particularly D1 sports, and if not professional sports, also do this with their athletes. Because beyond their on-field performance, I want to know what kind of person that is. Are they going to get arrested for doing something really dumb because that's really their off-the-field life. So great recruiters do not just primary reference checking, what you give me, but also secondary, if not tertiary, particularly a high-visible job. Regrettably, a lot of candidates I've met don't do that level of due diligence on the companies. And then they walk in, and maybe three months, maybe six months later, they're really surprised by how the leadership or the board or the investors or this partner or the job turns out. And when I ask them, tell me about the due diligence you did on the job. They kind of know that they didn't do as, as good of a job as they could have or they should have, right? So between Glassdoor and between LinkedIn and between just your network, good chance. And, and again, we, we've proven this. You're typically three degrees away from almost anybody else you want to meet. You know someone who knows someone who knows somebody else. That is very relevant. That that person left that VP of sales or left that COO job or has worked with that CEO that you're about to join in a previous company. Most industries are fairly incestuous. People kind of know each other. And there's this informal, unwritten set of rules and guidelines. And so as a candidate, if you're going to make a simple catalyst for change, changing jobs, what level of due diligence are you doing? And again, not just a product. Product and the service is easy. The ecosystem, a little, little more challenging, but still, who are the resellers? Who are the integrators? Who are the key players in that ecosystem? The relationships, the due diligence you can do on the relationships. Tell me about John. Tell me about Susan as a leader. Tell me, I want to be successful there. What's the best way to work with Tom? Tell me about Steve's nuances. Tell me about Sam's kind of quirkiness. And we met and he, he wouldn't look me in the eye. Is that just kind of the norm or what's, what's happening there? So you have to do your due diligence on the individuals. But the simple catalyst for change, fairly straightforward, fairly straightforward. You know what you need to do. You know how to do it. You've got a good chance of succeeding. The second type of catalyst is really a complicated one. And in the book, I use the example of think of heart surgery, building a rocket, or unique technology design. There's a definitive process for that change. 
that's been addressed in the past, right? There's typically multiple answers on how to do something. Um, you'll need specialized expertise. Uh, you have to understand really what's happening. The effects of this catalyst is gonna are gonna be subtle, but certainly discoverable. So if you think of a, a simple catalyst for change, pretty straightforward. You know what you need to do? You know, people have done it before. Complicated, there's multiple paths. It's still built done. It's going to be a deeper. This is um, how do I take my sales, since I brought up sales skills, in selling one product and one industry to one type of customers and go in a completely different sales field? How do I go from selling uh, drugs, right? Drug to not selling technology. Some of those skills are very transferable. The context is going to change. You're going to have to you know, be willing to be really bad and go back to learning all about a new industry, all about a new ecosystem. If you're selling very specifically in a geography, you know, I've got all my relationships are in Atlanta. I know the Southeast. I've traveled. Now I'm going to get up and go do this in San Francisco or go do this in Dubai. Yeah, a lot of that's, you know, the skills are transferable. But now you're talking about a very different ecosystem, very different buyers, language barriers, cultural barriers, right? So complicated catalyst for change. Also take the courage. Also take great due diligence. This is where strategic relationships are really helpful. And really understanding potential options, really understanding, as I mentioned, multiple paths, not right or wrong, but the pros and cons of each path. So you've got a spark. You're itching to go do something. There are multiple ways for you to get to the outcome you're after. You've, done, you've got the courage to kind of make that leap. You've done your due diligence on the options, on the path, on the now your strategic relationships come in really handy in understanding pros and cons of each of those. Let me give you a very specific example. I think a lot of people like the idea of being an entrepreneur. Oh, I get to have my own hours and I'm at the pool by two o'clock. And what they don't realize, and I think it's Mark Cuban on Shark Tank who calls them entrepreneurs, right? They want to be entrepreneurs. They, they like the idea of being an entrepreneur. They have no idea what it takes. Full disclosure, I've borrowed money from one of my credit cards to meet payroll. You learn very quickly. Cash flow is king. And, and your ability to pay your people and pay for your expenses and pay for the resources you want. You also learn that you need to pay yourself first. Otherwise, you've bought yourself a job. You're going to Drive yourself into the grave, paying for everything else except yourself. So there's some painful lessons, again, from 20 years of doing this that a lot of people just don't understand. They like the idea, oh, I'm going to hang my own shingles. It's a misnomer. It's a myth if you don't understand the outcomes you're after. So the conversations I've had with a lot of friends is, okay, sounds great. You want to go on your own. Tell me your why. Tell me what do you envision this thing looking Because, by the way, it's going to be very difficult for you to Go after consulting engagements and also interview for jobs. And if you don't have a supportive home life, if you don't have that rock of Gibraltar behind you, it's very difficult to sustain that because it just takes time. It takes time and effort and you got to build your brand and you got to build your unique value add and you got to start building relationships and ideally repeat or referral work. 
So being an entrepreneur is more than just hanging your own shingles. And like I said, being by the pool by two o'clock. It is a 24. You don't stop being an entrepreneur at 10 o'clock at night when an executive wants to have a coaching call in my world, right? So you have to go in with your eyes wide open. And that's just one way to create financial freedom. That's just one path to creating more autonomy. That's just one way to develop thought leadership or practice leadership and bring it in a unique and differentiated way. And as I was interviewing for jobs 20 years ago, I couldn't find anything I got real excited about where I didn't feel like the rug was going to get pulled out from under me. So I talked to my wife and she said, what do you want to do? And I said, I was the happiest when I was on my own. This is my third time. I sold the first one. We shut down the second one. I'll let you know how the third one goes. And she said, do it. I said, honey, we might be poor for a while. She doesn't matter. Do it. Because she didn't want me to be like some of our other friends who had great jobs with benefits and this thing called a paycheck. I don't, I don't know what that is. But you know what? They were working themselves to death and they were miserable. She's like, I don't want you to be one of those people. So through ups and downs, thick and thin, some tough times, some great times, right? That supportive home life has always been there. That's a critical part of entrepreneurship that a lot of people don't think about. So your strategic relationships, a really strong network becomes invaluable in complicated catalysts for change in really analyzing your options. And again, complicated, like building a rocket, heart surgery, unique technology design. There's typically multiple ways, multiple paths to get there. Each of them is investment. Each of them will take time, a lot of time, effort, resources, and patience and again, strategic relationships can really help you think through those options. So if you just joined us, I'm David Noor. I'm talking about this idea of curve benders as incredibly strategic relationships based on my most recent book uh, of the same title called Curve Benders. And chapter three is talking a lot about accelerating your relevance and a path to meeting potential curve benders. In the last couple of episodes, I've covered the first two. This is step three called the catalyst where spark happens uh, and you realize you've either hit a ceiling or there's a better journey, better path for you ahead. I would encourage you to jump in with questions, comments that might be relevant and I can help answer for you. We've been talking about three types of catalysts for change. Number one was simple. You know what you need to do. You know how to do it. Just takes courage and due diligence to kind of make that change. The second one is complicated heart surgery, building a rocket, new design, technology design. It's a known path. There's several options to get there. You still need the courage. You still need the due diligence. Strategic relationships can really help you think through the pros and cons of each path. The third type of catalyst for change in the book I talk about is complex. These are typically the hardest for us to tackle. This is also where those curve benders, those few relationships that leave an indelible imprint on our lives are incredibly valuable. A good example is think of, um, you know, my kids are now 20 and 18. Think of a child's different growth stages. Think of maturity of an organization. I would submit in different life cycles, you need very different skill sets, very different types of people. You need to surround yourself with very different types of expertise. 
in complex catalysts for change, there is no single right answer, predominantly because there's contrasting views, values, set of beliefs. There's different ways. I, I, I asked someone recently, why not take that job? This is an executive I'm coaching. And he was very candid. He said, listen, I'm, I'm 64. I honestly don't want to work that hard. He's slowing down. Now, he still has you know, probably another six, eight years to give, but he doesn't want more responsibility. He's, he's slowing down. He's in that slow down phase. I'd say fall, probably not quite winter, but fall of his career. So this is all about really understanding and developing a deep set of expertise, unbelievable self-organization, and really understanding interconnected systems, interconnected ecosystems. Um, just building on the, the entrepreneur idea. You know, it's fairly straightforward to build a service, right? I, I've been in one for 20 years. Here's a speaking service. Here's a coaching service. Here's a training. It's a service. It's a very different world, I believe, to build a product, specifically a technology product, very specifically a SaaS-based software as a service, uh, subscription business model where you need deep technical expertise and development and you're trying to solve an enterprise solution. Have other people have done it? Absolutely. You're trying to go into a you know new direction. Think of Internet of Things. Think of blockchain technology. Think of uh, quantum computing. A lot of these emerging technologies where the expertise is, is still evolving. It's still developing. And I may have the business case for it. I may have a compelling idea of, I wanna build a marketplace for data scientists to come together. Great. On the surface, sounds fantastic. I'm not a data scientist. I know enough to be dangerous about that space. I'm gonna need others to kind of help me get there. This is the complex catalyst for change. It will not only take courage, it takes enormous amount of patience. It takes not just due diligence, it takes experimentation. So your due diligence ideally leads to a hypothesis, right? So here's the problem, by the way, not a nice to have or nice to be able to solve, but must solve, must have. My hair, as a friend of mine, Charlie Paparelli says, this is a, my hair is on fire kind of a problem, right? So you've identified that problem. You've identified a potential solution, not right or wrong, but a potential solution. Now you have a hypothesis. If I go solve this problem for this target audience, this target ideal, people call it ideal customer profile. I call them ideal relationship profiles. They're going to be willing and able to solve, you know, pay for it because they're always could be willing, but not able to pay for it or able to pay for it, not willing. It's not a big enough problem. So now you've got a complex catalyst for change that takes, again, courage and patience, due diligence and experimentation, strategic relationships, not just as part of asking pros and cons, but in many ways you need co-creators. I need a co-founder for that tech company. I need you know, I'm trying to open up a warehousing and supply chain and logistics business. I need somebody who's got deep expertise in there. 
And now you're going to benefit from exponential relationships because not only do I have my relationships to go ask, but ideally you have that other person. And I don't believe these individuals are going to be employees. I think they need to have a substantial material role in where you're going, how you're going to get there. Co-founders, equity partners, right? Other people who bring a very unique set of skills that you may not have. And this is a classic case of one plus one equals 11. Because I can bring a piece of this. I can bring a component of this. But together, we're dramatically stronger. We're a lot stronger together. So that's the kind of catalyst for change that will really help propel you, whether you feel like you're stuck or there's a new avenue. And that's kind of what I want you to think about. Uh, all of our research through writing this book led to really the understanding that the arc of any job is about three to five years. Three to five years, you've learned how to do that job. You kind of know the ins and outs. You know what works. You know what doesn't. You know what to do. You know what not to do. So if you think of an S-curve as the arc of that job, as you, and, and I've done a previous session on this where I talk about, you know, early on, there's a point of diminishing return because you're investing. Then you kind of start excelling at it. Then you hit your stride. Then you kind of reach a plateau, right? That upper arch of the S. And I wrote about it in, that, in the book as well. At that point, you have three options and three options only. You can jolt some excitement, new job, new role. That will help you rethink, reinvent what you're doing. You can choose to do nothing, and that's when it starts to decline, and it shows in how you show up. Have you noticed yourself uh, you know, trying to wing it? Or, you know what, I don't need to prepare for that meeting, or... Worse yet, you hit the snooze button 10, 12, 15 times in the mornings, right? Or ideally, you're hitting the next S-curve. You find that next growth opportunity and, and you hit your investment and, and really excelling at something and the next stride, right? So a catalyst is that spark. Whether you've hit a ceiling or you want to go pursue a new path to start thinking about the next chapter, to start thinking about this journey of now to next, how do I reach that next proverbial next level? How do I become the best version of myself in kind of what I'm doing, how I go to market? And as I said earlier, uh, you, you know, the first couple of steps, and if you haven't listened to or watched the previous ones, you can just find them, uh, norgroup.com slash podcasts, plural, or just my LinkedIn profile. If you scroll down enough, you'll find the previous versions. But as I said earlier, personal foundation was the first one. Second one was a, a, a commitment, a, a, an absolute professional commitment to, and I'm bringing up the seven steps again, professional commitment to really becoming the, the you know, exceeding current expectations of you. Catalyst, as I said, is really an awareness of either something's missing or something you aspire to achieve, something you aspire to reach or go after, go get. But that spark is really critical. Uh, in subsequent sessions, I'll cover immersive inquiry. There's a whole method of how to go do that. 
Obviously, we'll talk more about the strategic relationships, agile execution is step six, and connection cadence is step seven. But as you can see, these are all almost like a jigsaw puzzle connected. And I've never seen somebody succeed with immersive inquiry that really wasn't led by catalyst. I've never seen a professional commitment uh, where there wasn't some sort of catalyst. They were just missing some of those things. So that's kind of where we are. Let me let me uh, leave you with the biggest challenges, the biggest roadblocks I've observed in coaching and working with executives in this third step of, of a catalyst. I mentioned to you earlier, courage. I mentioned patience. I mentioned due diligence. I mentioned hypothesis. If I go solve this problem for this target audience, here are some of the big assumptions I'm making that I want to go test some of these hypotheses. I mentioned strategic relationships. I mentioned co-creators. Most challenges I see obviously falls in one of those six buckets. A lot of it is courage. As you get older, a lot of times we tend to think more about our obligations and unfortunately less about our aspirations because you have obligations. I have wife and kids and mortgage and car payments and college payments and a lot of these things become anchors. They're actually self-perceived anchors. They are, and I'm, I'm listen, you got to do what makes sense for you and your family. I'm never going to argue against that. Yet, I've also seen incredibly supportive spouses go back to work, right? So you have one stable income while you are able to go pursue your entrepreneurial. Or a really supportive spouse that says, I'm willing to go where you want to go so you can take that role, that next opportunity. But that part is really critical and it's self-imposed anchors. So I would encourage you to talk through it with people that are closest to you. Uh, due diligence I mentioned earlier is another big one that don't you know not enough people do enough of it. They don't talk enough to their relationships. They don't this this stealth mode is is really interesting to me. And I learned years ago in my private equity world. If you've thought about an idea, so have fifty other people. The, the opportunity is not the idea. The opportunity is really execution of that idea. The opportunity is the potential growth, viability, and and milestones of that idea. So you holding on to ideas isn't the answer. It's how do I discreetly socialize it with people that I like, trust, respect, and, and make sure. And here's the key. I've always said to people that I'm never afraid of what I don't know. I'm always afraid of what I don't know I don't know. And if you don't live, eat, breathe in a particular ecosystem or geography, or you're not an industry insider, whether it's cybersecurity or discrete manufacturing, if you're not an insider, you're going to have blind spots. You're going to have nuances of the industry you don't understand. And the best way I know how to try to immerse myself in that, and we'll talk about this immersive inquiry in the next session is really go talk to people who are living, eating, breathing that world and have done it for some time. Here's what I'm thinking. What And, and I love asking, what questions am I not asking? 
And it goes back to the breadth and depth of due diligence that you do. This day and age, I can put up a type form survey and I can get that in front of people. I can mock up a website. I can mock up an experience or series of steps pretty quickly and and with a high degree of confidence show what that vision could be what that here's the problem i'm trying to solve is this really a problem which leads me to the third one with catalyst for change ideally you're not running away from something you're running towards something that's a salient difference yet it's a critical one because if you're running away from a bad boss who says the next job you're going to go take isn't going to have a worse boss? If you're running away from some sort of an industry issue that you don't care for, who's to say you're not going to run into it again in the next job or the next company or the next industry? So I want you to run towards something. I want you to aspire for a different environment, not running away from a crappy boss, crappy job, crappy company, bad hours, whatever. So the other the other challenge that, that I that I see is is bias going into it said this is a spark. This is a catalyst is a spark. And people who have bias in essence have blinders on, right? And they they either refuse to see what's on the periphery. They don't see it. So there's a two by four coming your way and it's got a rusted nail in it. Or they talk themselves. This is the worst case scenario, right? They talk themselves into something that is just not there. Oh, if I go join this company, they've told me that I'll come in at this position, and within six months they're gonna pour me, you know, uh, they're, they're gonna promote me to a different position, and the founder of the company is gonna step aside. Really? Does the founder of the company know that? So they go there and I'm, I'm coaching one today. Two years later, they're still dangling this potential future. And I just, I don't believe it's going to happen. Maybe I'm wrong. and I've been wrong before. But they told this woman that in six months, you're going to have this position. Two years later, she still doesn't have it. There's no line of sight of when it's going to happen. And what she's done is she's talked herself into believing that to be the case. That's a bias, in my opinion. That's a, a myopic lens on an aspiration, right? And there's no, again, there's no easy answer unless she's willing to leave the company, leave the job and give them an ultimatum. But we're trying to figure out is there, are there other options? Are there other ways to kind of get a definitive line? Or, and it may not be. Uh, the, the final challenge that I captured here that I want to share with you is, again, a mentor drove into me, throw away your stopwatch and get a compass. And I got to tell you, first time I heard that, I didn't understand what that meant. And when I asked, I'm paraphrasing, the response was, well, you're obviously eager to get things done, hence the stopwatch, right? Let's go, let's go, let's go. I'm impatient. I want everything done yesterday. I want to get there. That's great. Where are you going? What's the what's the direction? Is this consistent with your journey? Jobs are often highly transactional. Jobs are you going to go there for most of us a period of time. I'm going to do this, and then what? What what's the 
What's the path? What's this? And I call it your journey from now to next. And in the book, I talk about your next decade. How are you breaking that up of here's where ideally where I'm going. Here's what I want to be doing. Here's what's important to me. I, I don't ever envision retiring. I, I'll, I'll retire when I die. Will I slow down? Probably. Do I want to have aspirations to go teach? Maybe at a university level? Sure. But I'm also, I still feel like not only I have a whole bunch of value to add, but there's a lot I want I'm curious about. I want to go explore. So you, if you don't have this journey from your now to next, if you don't have some direction of where you're going, any job will do. Any next project, next initiative, next business unit, next will do. I found a really interesting um, statistic by the by the U.S. Labor Department that says an average 38-year-old has had 14 different jobs. So jobs can be highly transactional. They'll come and go. What direction? What compass? And that's where that catalyst, that spark needs guidance. That spark needs guardrails. That spark needs direction to fuel your personal and professional growth. So um, I hope this has been of interest and value to you. I, obviously, I'm passionate about this topic. I'd love to hear your comments. Uh, we will post this also, repurpose this live event as a podcast. Again, norgroup.com slash podcasts, plural. We've got several of these that we run each week. Uh, I would love to have you come join us in our NOR forum community. So if you go to norgroup.com slash forum, and I'll put it in uh, here as well, norgroup.com slash forum. That's our online community. It's a private community. What I've found many ways, these public social networks in the last several years have become highly uh, polarizing, highly promotional, somewhat political. And this is a, a trend that we've observed. I've, I belong to four or five different micro communities. Think of your favorite deli or your favorite butcher. You're not going there to have your tires changed. You're going there for very specific reasons. So we have something called the North Forum. It's our private online community. I would encourage Dan is our community manager. Uh, Elaine also helps out there. So I would encourage you to come join us in the North Forum. And uh, we'll post links will post comments i'm there every day adding nor new nuggets adding nor new questions uh articles perspectives surveys interesting things that come across my radar a lot of great discussions going on so i hope you'll come and join us there until then um have a great uh, in the us is our independence day coming up next week have a great fourth of july holiday and i'll see you again soon thanks everybody all the best bye bye